This message first aired on the radio on December 23, 2003. Bible this is John Malone. We have the Word of God for you today, taking the Bible through enemy territory. He's the prince of the power of the air, and we are using the airwaves to take the power of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God to all who are being saved, the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. We're studying specially this week about the nation of Israel and about the Jews and what condition they're presently in, what condition they used to be in, and what condition they one day will be in as they've been displaced out of God's economy from being his people to being not his people. And one day again, they'll be the people of God. And if you want to hear more about how that is, stay tuned here as we look at the end of Romans chapter 9, the beginning of Romans chapter 10. Well, we're in Romans 9, and yesterday we tried to get to the end of the chapter, and we did a dead sprint at the end of our message to try to incorporate the end of chapter 9. But I'll say I didn't do a very good job of that, and maybe I still won't, but I'm going to take another shot at trying to lay out for your benefit and enjoyment the final several verses of the ninth chapter, and then we'll crack the tenth chapter today and make a little progress into it. Well, let's look at Romans 9. If you have your Bible and you're sitting around, turn to it. It's better read along with this broadcast than simply listen to. But we're in Romans chapter 9, and I want to read now out of verse 25. Let me get the context by reading back to verse 22. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he has called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Now I want to say that the emphasis here is not on the mystery which will be revealed in the book of Ephesians, but the emphasis here is on the progress of testimony or the progress of the preaching of the Word of God at the time of the writing of these prophetic writings that we call the New Testament, wherein the Word of God has gone not to the Jew only, but also to the Gentile. And that's what it says here. Even us whom he has called, not out of the Jews only, but also out of the Gentiles. This now has to do with the calling out of both Jew and Gentile. And I want to say that the calling out of both Jew and Gentile is not the highest and consummate truth of what God is doing in this present age, nor was it the end of what God was doing in the age that we might call the book of Acts. Calling out of the Jews and out of the Gentile a people to his name is something that God was doing, but it is not exactly what he is doing. It is not exactly what he is doing. He is taking the word of God to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Uh, Those of you who have followed our broadcast from its inception realize that there in Romans 1.16, where the word of God says it is the power of God unto salvation, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, realize that we believe that, that the word of God is to the Jew first, still is today, and to the Gentile, and that he's calling out to Jews and Gentiles, the Scripture reveals actually more to us about this present age that we're in, having to do with the mystery of the church, which is his body, where he calls out both Jew and Gentile and places them into the body of Christ where there is neither Jew 
nor Gentile, and that we're the church of God. So that it is true that God calls out to both Jew and Gentile, but it is not that he accumulates to himself Jews and Gentiles, but rather he incorporates into his body neither Jew nor Gentile, but a new man, the church, which is his body. And we're going to make that distinction all the more carefully as we move along progressively through the doctrine of Scripture. Here, as the doctrine concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ, how it is on the basis of faith, on the principle of faith, and now we come into the mystery of Israel setting aside. We haven't seen that disclosed yet. We won't until Romans chapter 11. But we want to be careful, and we want to distinguish the things that differ, and we want to see here that the ultimate and consummate truth of where this is all going is not here revealed in Romans chapter 9, but intends to point out to us, I mean, the drama of this particular portion is that God no longer is taking his word only to the Jews and expecting them to bring the Gentiles into the commonwealth, which is Israel. In fact, we're going to find out here through these prophetic scriptures that are articulated here and quoted here, we can see that in the Old Testament prophecies, it was prophesied that Israel would be set aside. It was prophesied not the temporary partial blindness of Israel, that was not revealed, but it was revealed that Israel would be taken down to a remnant and brought back into then great blessing. And to see that, we have the apostle quoting in chapter 25 of Romans 9, as he said also in Hosea, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. Now, that speaks really in a twofold way. And then we'll look at verse 26 also. It shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, You are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Now, in order for us to get the proper context of this, we do well to look, surprisingly, as it's quoting the book of Hosea, we do well to go and look at the book of Hosea. So we'll do that. And here we'll look at Hosea. We'll look here in the second chapter. And let me turn there, and and we'll come to verses 24. Well, we'll look at verse 21. It says, for example, in that section, it says, verse 23, I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. Now that's Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. There is a twofoldness to this. When we look at Hosea chapter 1, for example, we see how this all sets up. The prophet Hosea prophesying to the ten tribes, really rebellious tribes, also known as the northern kingdom, but the ten tribes, whose capital became Samaria and who set up the false worship and who broke away from Judah and Benjamin. And here this is a prophecy clear back before the captivity during the time of Jeroboam's improper leadership as king of Israel. And here Hosea, in the first chapter, God tells Hosea, uh, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, the Lord said unto Hosea, do take thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. So he told her, you go take a wife out from whoredoms, that is, out from the 
northern kingdom here. Some say he told him to go take a Gentile wife. That's not really true, necessarily. Whoredoms here has to do not with her personal profligacy, although we find Hosea's wife, Gomer, to be unfaithful, but it's not here about her profligacy. He said, go find a profligate wife. He says, take a wife out of whoredoms. This is spiritual whoredoms or the idolatries that the northern kingdom went into. And the land committing great whoredoms, departing from the Lord. That's the second half of the first chapter, second verse. So he went back and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, which conceived and bare him a son. So here now he takes his wife, Gomer. And she bore him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. For yet a little while I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. So this has to do, by the way, with the location of the improper bloodshed that Jehu did. And the history of that is that Jehu did what God told him to do. He did come in and remove Ahab. And in fact, he removed the whole house of Ahab. Uh, but he didn't do it in a way that the Lord told him to do it, and he did also shed innocent blood. And so God visited his wickedness back upon his own head also, and he didn't remove the idolatries of the northern kingdom. So this is a prophecy of his demise. But now it says, It shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And then she conceived again, verse 6 of Hosea 1, and bear a daughter, and God said unto him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah. And these names of the children, being named according to the prophecies that God would have Hosea to give, and the prophet, therefore, that he would have Hosea to be. And so here, Lo-Ruhamah means not beloved, or not having obtained mercy. This is a prophetic name. Name your daughter, not having obtained mercy, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will take them away. Well, of course, take them away, really, it says take away theirs. Take away theirs, which is to say, this kingdom that they've set up for themselves, I'm going to take it away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, nor by horsemen. So here he's promising that he'll take Israel and its wickedness. He'll preserve Judah. Of course, Judah has its own demise later. But God now saying, these will not have mercy. And then he has another child, and we find here in verse 8, now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bare a son, and then God said, call his name Lo-Ami. You are not my people and I will not be your God. And this is the prophecy to Israel. Now, that's quoted here in Romans 9.25, as he said in Hosea, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. That follows up in verse 10 of Hosea, The number of the children of Israel shall be sand as the sea, which cannot be measured nor number. It shall come to pass in the place where it was said unto them, You are not my people. There it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. So in summary, God had told Israel in the prophecy of Hosea, there is coming a time when I am going to say to you, you are not my people, and I am not your God. And there is a people to whom I will say, you are my people. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, in a little while you won't see me anymore. 
that immediately the Jews, actually realizing that he was the Messiah, said, is he going to go to the Gentiles? Is this going to be our rejection? And, of course, they knew the prophecy. They knew it was going to happen. And, in fact, it has happened. And we'll look a little bit more about what that actually means and what it doesn't mean when we come back after this brief message. Stick with us now. It's getting a little bit complicated, but it'll clear up. Let's move along here to Romans chapter 9. As we see that this prophecy of Hosea says, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. Now this has to do with the fact that the Lord will go to the Gentiles and they'll be called the people of God, but it also has to do with Israel has to pass through a not my people period for them to be called the people of God later. And so Israel will also be those who are not his people and then will be called a people. That's why it says in verse 26, it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, You are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. And that is the New Testament, which is written about in the book of Jeremiah, the new covenant that God will make with them in those days, which is also written about in the book of Hebrews, that the people who are not God's people today, that is the Jews, according to the flesh, they're not God's people. He's a Jew that is one inwardly, whose circumcision is of the heart. There is a day coming when all Israel will be saved, and they who are not called God's people today will be called his people then. Now here we come further into the full truth, though. That's the truth. It's just not the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We have to read on. And he now turns to the book of Isaiah. In verse 27, he says, Isaiah also cries concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea. And that was part of the Abrahamic promise. God told Abraham his children would be like the stars of the heaven in number, which is countless and heavenly, and like the sand of the sea, which is countless and earthly. Though the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Verse 27, here quoting the prophet Isaiah. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness. Now this cut it short means he'll consummate it. He'll bring it to its consummation in righteousness. He'll finish the work, and he'll consummate that work in righteousness, because a consummating work or a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. So the Lord will bring to pass the consummation of Israel. As Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had been left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. That is to say, Isaiah said, if the Lord didn't leave a remnant, if he didn't leave a thread, as we called it yesterday, or a remnant with Israel, they would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you ever go look at the sites of Sodom and Gomorrah, you look at that's the deadest place on earth. Nobody lives there. The site of Sodom and Gomorrah is just a wasteland. It makes the badlands of South Dakota look like a garden. So... Isaiah prophesied that there would be a remnant and that God will preserve a remnant through the whole time that Israel is called not my people. And so there remains today a remnant according to grace. And there is that remnant. And I'm telling you that one of the purposes of our broadcast is merely to reach that remnant of Israel which will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and have fellowship. And will you join us then? in taking the Word of God out as we're supposed to during this present age. 
Verse 30, what shall we say then that the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, has obtained a righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith, and so forth. And we covered the rest of Romans 9 yesterday. I just wanted to pick up those Old Testament references and lay out in a little more clear way how it is that God outlined that he would have a remnant and that he would put away Israel and that he would take Israel back up again. Now, chapter 10 of Romans, the apostle now turns and he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, his desire is that Israel would be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for of God, but not according to knowledge. Now, this is a full circle turn for him. This is a full circle turn for him because you remember he said that he used to wish himself accursed from Christ, that is to say anathematized from Christ. He used to be like the fellows who wanted to murder him. You know, there were fellows that wanted to murder him, and he had to be rescued by the other believers because they made a vow in the book of Acts to murder him. Now, he's writing this epistle before that happens, but he used to be in sympathy with their feelings of hatred toward those, especially Jews, who believed in Christ. And now he's turned around, and he said, My heart's desire for Israel is that they would be saved. I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And that we do find zeal admirable somehow. We find zeal admirable. A lot of times we'll say, good effort. We find that praiseworthy. Good effort. You know, you tried hard. That's great. Well, in some ways that's true. It does speak of a certain aspect of character to try hard. But, of course, it's imprudent to try hard when the principle is otherwise. In other words, when the principle is grace through faith, Quit trying to do and start just start believing. But here he's talking about the nation of Israel. and says they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have failed to submit themselves to the righteousness of God. And what is that righteousness of God? Why, it is grace through faith. And this is the sorrowful and sad thing about the nation of Israel. They're busy trying to establish themselves as righteous, and in so doing and attempting to establish their own righteousness, they refuse to submit themselves to the righteousness of God. I am impressed with that, by the way, in the hostile reaction to the alleged attempt, and I can't even say if it's a good attempt yet or not. I can't even say good effort to Mel Gibson, for example, about his upcoming movie. But allegedly, he's trying to put out a movie that is true to the Bible accounts. Now, I have almost no hope that it will be, okay? I really don't. Whether I watch the movie or not, I probably will. Even without subtitles, I'm the kind of person that would probably go, and I'll listen to the Latin and the Greek, and I'll try to understand something of what they're saying. I have to admit, I've had, I had more years of Latin than it should have taken for me to understand any of it, but... I was with that old saw that Latin is a dead language, as dead as it can be, and first it killed the Romans, and now it's killing me. I believed that when I was in high school, and I wouldn't consider myself at all capable of the Greek language either, though I know some words. Well, in any case, here is a hostility toward many Jews, and I would ascribe to them their own partiality to themselves. And also, by the way, I'll concede that they represent 
a substantial viewpoint of their people. Certainly not all, but a substantial viewpoint of their people, which immediately becomes hostile when the subject of the Jews' responsibility for turning against and killing the Lord Jesus Christ arises. Now, friends, it's not controversial in the Scriptures that they did that very thing. That's not a controversial matter to read about in the Scriptures. In fact, the early testimony to Israel by the Jews who were saved and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ was, you crucified the Holy One when Pilate would have let him go. And those who admitted the truth were cut to the heart, and they said, well, what should we do? And they say, well, you should repent and be baptized and prepare yourself for times of refreshing because he's coming back. Well, even in that preaching, they rejected him. I mean, they not only rejected the Lord when he came to them personally, but they rejected him in his resurrection and ascension, and they rejected the apostles that followed him. And this is not controversial in the Bible at all. It's controversial among men, but one can't read the Bible even a little and not see the responsibility of the nation of Israel for rejecting the Savior. That's what they did. The Messiah came to them, and they murdered him. Now you say, well, were they alone? Didn't they have the complicity? Yeah, Pilate has his complicity. But the gospel to the nation of Israel was Pilate would have let him go. And the Word of God also says if they'd have known that he was the Holy One of Israel, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. So we understand all that, but in the context of that, they do not have knowledge, uh, Jews lack knowledge of who the Savior is. And now that they know who he is and that he fulfills all the Scriptures, well, apostles' desire and my prayer is that they might be saved from the horrible wrath that is otherwise their portion. And it tells us here, summarily, in verse 4 of Romans 10, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Now, you do well when you read verse 4 to put a hyphen between the word law and for and righteousness, and it's this principle that the Jews are trying to establish that God has nothing to do with. And the nation of Israel is trying to establish the principle of law for righteousness. I talked to a guy today who believes that law can establish righteousness. Worked in a prison. He's a very senior guy in an Iowa prison. And he believes that it's all about an inmate's behavior that will reform them and allow them to be fit to be released. Well, their behavior is not going to change. The law is not intended to make a man righteous or good or anything else. These guys have their penalties, and if they serve them out, they got to let them go. But Christ is the end. Christ is the terminus ad quem. He is the end. There is no more law for righteousness concept that can live in the believer. That's what this means. In verse 4, Christ is the end of this concept, law for righteousness, to everyone who believes. Because you can't believe that the law will produce righteousness if you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died as a substitute for your sins and you put faith alone in Christ alone, you believe that that principle is what saves So you can't hold the wrong principle and believe the right one. You have to abandon that wrong principle to believe the right one. And, of course, we all do. When we find that God will save us on the basis of Christ's work alone, and we throw away our own righteousness or the principle of trying to attempt it and instead cast ourselves on the mercies of God and the work of Christ, then we are against law for righteousness and we are for faith for righteousness. 
And I'm unashamed to say that's our position, and the Apostle Paul was unashamed and frequently says it here in this book that that is our position. Well, Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, in verse 5, that the man which does those things shall live by them. Now, if you want the law for righteousness, then you must live by the law of Moses, because in the law it says the man which does them shall live by them. So you that want to do a little bit of the law, that is not in the law that you can do a little bit. You don't get to pick and choose. There's not a buffet line of the law. The law of Moses is not picking and choosing whatever it is you believe. You take it all. And if you want law for righteousness, you will live by the law. And by the way, you will also, I assure you, you'll perish by the law. Well, we'll come back and take more of this up in a minute, but will you stay with us for a brief announcement? This describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which does those things shall live by them, but the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? In other words, the righteousness of faith isn't looking for a Messiah that has something yet to do for us. We're not waiting for the Messiah to do anything for us. We know that he's already done everything for us. But the righteousness of, which is of faith says this, verse 8. What saith it? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. So we're not telling you to go get ready or do something or anything else. That's all over with. That's law. That is the bad news of the law. The righteousness which is of the law is telling you to get ready or wait for this or wait for that. But the righteousness which is of faith says, hey, the word that we preach you is right next to you. We're speaking it. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we're preaching. Now here we have this, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. This is right out of the book of Deuteronomy. And that is, it's the word of faith which we preach. This, of course, gospel has never been hidden. That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Now it says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Okay, so here, now is answering both the mouth and the heart. And it says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You just need to believe and you'll be saved. Now you say, well, what about confess with your mouth? Well, I don't know if you believed if you haven't confessed with your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This runs to what is the heart of man. Well, the heart of man is the mind of man. It is the facility by which men believe things. That's what your heart is. For with the heart, verse 10, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness. Now I'm going to just say it is with the heart that man believes. So I am not going to let somebody dichotomize me and tell me I've believed with my head and I haven't believed with my heart. Because you don't believe with your head and you don't believe with your kneecap and you don't believe with your belly button and you don't believe with your ankle or your wrist or anything else. You believe with the heart. Nobody believes with anything else. Whatever you believe, you believe with your heart. That is the facility of man that believes. And there's no such thing as fake belief. When somebody says mere mental assent, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't want anything to do with that. It's not the Bible. It's just words of man's wisdom. When people say, I, 
I have asked Jesus into my heart. I don't know what that means. I'm sorry. Why use it? With the heart, man believes. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? And what does that mean? That means have you received him as your Savior? That's what that means. Have you done that? Have you believed? Now, how do I know if you believe? Well, it's because you tell me. It's because you tell me. With the mouth, confession is made. That's what it says. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So here it is. You believe with your heart, you confess with your mouth. You get saved. You get saved because you believe. By grace through faith, that's how you're saved. I know about it. I hear it from you. You confess it with your mouth. For the Scripture says, Whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. And here we have, now again, the repetitious quotation of the 28th chapter of the book of Isaiah, verse 16, which we found in verse 33 of Romans 9. We find again in Romans 10, verse 11. Whosoever believes on him will not be ashamed. Now, you say, well, that doesn't say he'll be saved. That says he'll never be ashamed. And let me say that one of the things you're saved from is the shame of having your sins upon you and your guilt, and the sin and the shame of guilt because of sin. You're saved from that, and you'll never be ashamed if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there is no difference between Jew and Greek. That's what it says. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And here I want to say that, well, like I say, we have the truth here. This is the truth. It's just not the final all the truth. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile in the sense of, Either one can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Now, there is a further truth, right? I mean, not only can either Jew or Gentile believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, but when they do, either Jew or Gentile are neither Jew nor Gentile ever again. Now, I'm going ahead and I'm preaching here the book of Ephesians. But I have to because we live in an age today where various sects are rising up inside Christianity, and once again maintaining and trying to maintain a clear distinction between Jews and Gentiles. And they're trying to get along together in the same congregation as Jews and Gentiles, where the distinction is made, and and in every case, by the way, there are Judaizers trying to make Gentiles act like Jews, in every case. This is going on around today. I don't like it. The Lord doesn't like it. It's unbiblical. Listen here. There's one Christian culture. There's one body of Christ, and it's neither Jew nor Gentile. But at the time of the writing of Romans, of course, so if you miss, if you mishandle the Scripture, you can certainly find, as doctrine progresses and as truth comes out, distinctions between Jew and Gentile. You can find it all over the book of Acts. People want to live out the book of Acts, and they want to be like the church in Jerusalem, and I get kind of a charge out of that in a way. And I was in such a group for some years. They said, look, we want to just get back here to act like this. Well, that church was an abysmal failure, and when the Apostle Paul visited it, it was all so full of law he couldn't even practice his faith. But here, let me not miss the main intent of this scripture Whosoever believes on him shall not be saved. This is a wonderful portion of Scripture to tell someone how simple it is 
to believe and be saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Romans 10, verses 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13 are often used to bring a simple gospel message to whoever needs to believe it. Now the scripture says, How will they call upon him they have not believed? It says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And you just don't call on somebody to save you if you don't even believe that he is, either that he exists or that he has power to save. And so, of course, the answer to that is they won't. How will they believe on whom they have not heard? Well, you're not going to believe on somebody never heard of. So, therefore, they have to hear. And how will they hear without a preacher? And the answer to all these questions is they won't. How will they call on him whom they have not believed? They won't. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? They won't. How will they hear without a preacher? They won't. But you know what? God has his preachers. God has his preachers. No shame to be a preacher. How will they hear without one preaching? They won't. And God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. Well, how will they preach except they be sent? They won't. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them which preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Thank God that though they won't preach except they be sent, yet they've been sent. And let me tell you, this has been sent to you today. Believe it or not, really, better off, believe it. I'll leave you with this wonderful hymn. 